Hi, I'm Sean Kidney, CEO of the Client Bonds Initiative. Welcome to this series of European Union taxonomy webinars, a deep dive into different segments of the taxonomy that's going to have an extraordinary influence over financial markets in Europe and we think possibly around the world in the next few years. Today, we're looking at low carbon buildings. I want to say a couple of words first about the context of what we're doing, uh, history, what it means now, before I dive into the detail. You're, well, you're aware, I guess, by joining this call, of the background of the European Union taxonomy. Uh, more than 18 months ago, nearly two years ago, actually, the uh, European High Level Expert Group on Sustainable Finance that I had the privilege to be a member of, recommended to the Commission the creation of a taxonomy as part of a range of measures to support the development of sustainable finance in Europe. Uh, they said yes to all sorts of things and they released the EU Action Plan on Sustainable Finance in March 2018 that was frankly fantastic. Now, not all my dreams, but a hell of a lot of them in terms of what we have to do. Since then, we and I, Fabrizio and Ursula have been on that journey uh, in the technical expert group have been developing a range of recommendations about regulations in Europe around um, sustainable benchmarks, around the implementation of the task force on climate finance related disclosures and about uh, green bond standard and about taxonomy. So the taxonomy has been a, a lot of work, I'm going to say. We had, I think, about 250 people involved as experts at one point, as well as every relevant uh, European Commission ministry called Director Generals, uh, the Joint Research uh, Centre of the European Commission did a lot of basic work, the European Investment Bank, the European Bank of Reconstruction Development, and so on. And all the regulators were part of that too. We had representatives from the European Central Bank sitting in on meetings, uh, the European Banking Authority, and so on. It's been quite a process. I have to say a fantastic process in terms of fleshing out the issues and working out what is the right kind of approach for us to take in Europe. Now, we've published... Uh, earlier in March, the final report of the technical expert group on e recommendations for an EU taxonomy. They are recommendations. The member states, parliament, and the European Commission agreed in December to go forward and a framework for going forward on this. They actually, after, let's call it some interesting arguments and discussions, agreed with our recommendations around a range of areas and notably in electricity generation, uh, which has caused a lot of headlines in Europe and also a lot of, um, uh, what would I say, uh, misunderstandings. And we're going to discuss that next week at this time with Carsten Loeffler from uh, the German government's uh, Sustainability Finance Council and with John Sinner of the European Investment Bank. So if you want to talk about those controversial areas, join us again at 1500 Central European time next week, same day. And this will be a webinar series. We will be tackling in the following week, another key area, manufacturing criteria, the week after transport and so on, right through to the end of May, every Thursday, 1500 Central European time. And now today we're gonna to focus on buildings. The taxonomy covers a wide range of areas. These are recommendations that the commission now needs to turn into regulation, which will come into force from the end of this year as a voluntary approach, and then by the end of 22, 
it'll be a mandatory requirement that if you're calling something sustainable and reporting against the disclosure regulations of Europe on your sustainable assets, that you have to report against the taxonomy or in line taxonomy. That'll affect banks, that'll affect corporations and all investors apart from the smallest ones. So that's a, a pretty major initiative. It's likely to have a global normative power as many European regulations do. Now to get agreement across Europe, everyone else says, oh God, okay, we're not gonna go through those negotiations again. We'll just adopt the European regulations. And we're seeing that to a certain degree, but it's worth noting that some of the measures in this are very Euro specific. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. The built environment, well, this is a huge part of what we have to do around emissions. Our uh, brief from the European Commission was to focus first on climate mitigation and climate resilience, but also look towards circular economy, uh, pollution prevention, and other key factors of environmental protection, all of which are interrelated, of course. In the uh, trajectories that we see climate scientists producing, the International Energy Agency producing, about how we're going to meet our climate goals, the reduction pathways that Europe has now committed to, zero net carbon by 2050 and 50% cut in 10 years of our, of our emissions, the built environment is a huge slice, roughly 40%, depending on which study you're talking about. So what we've got to achieve, we have to get our buildings much lower in terms of their emissions, much more efficient. We have to get to net zero carbon as fast as we possibly can, is the, at the point here. And the good thing about the building sector is it's a relatively easy financial ask because most of the time we're saving money. When we make these things more efficient, our energy bills go down. It's a capex, a little bit more capex with a lot lower opex going on. That's at least what the models tell us. We all know that when we get into the weeds of it, it's a little bit more complicated to implement. In the meantime, this guidance that we're about to talk about is the guidance for what you're able to call sustainable in terms of building. If you're an investor, disclosing your holdings in property or properly related financial instruments, of which there are a wide variety. If you're a, an issuer of a bond, wanting to do a green bond under the, green bonds, the European green bond standard, it has to meet the taxonomy and so on. So let me introduce you to my colleagues, uh, Ursula Hattenbarger and Fabrizio Variali from the Royal uh, Institution of Chartered Surveyors. They've both been the key draftspeople for the buildings criteria, with a few of us bending over their, sh their shoulders and saying, no, change that, change that, change that as we go along. So they have, it's amazing they've survived this process. Um, they're gonna talk a little bit about it. Thanks for joining us. What I'm going to do now is open up the first the PowerPoint with a few um, uh, documents, but can I just get you while I'm doing that to give us a flavor of what we try to do here and where we're going. Ursula, can you kick us off with some remarks just to put people in the right direction about what in the hell this is that we've done? Well, as, um, yeah, hello everybody. Um, yes, as Sean said, it has been quite a journey, um, especially for the buildings group. Um, it's a complicated sector, it's a fragmented sector. Um, we have lots of stakeholders with very different interests and with different challenges as well. So from that point of view, it certainly hasn't been an easy task. And we hope that with the criteria as they stand now as part of the recommendations, 
that we have reflected not only ambition, but also uh, a certain amount of uh, pragmatism because, uh, you know, there were challenges around how ambitious do we want to be, but at the same time, we also want to, we want to take the market with us. We also want to, we want to uh, let existing, existing uh, instruments thrive further. Um, and uh, a certain amount of realism as well, um, in that we we could have uh, we could have cer certainly gone much more ambitious, you know, if we'd wanted to. I mean, sometimes we wanted to, but then uh, looking at how the market lies, um, you know, the, we just decided we have to find a compromise, and finding these compromises probably was the hardest was the hardest hardest part of the work. Yeah. Um, but in all in all, I think I'm very pleased with what we've achieved because uh, we have uh, struck a very good compromise and also uh, we have a very, very strong focus on renovation and I think that's where really our efforts need to lie um, and uh, have been quite inclusive on renovation. Let's have a look at the details. Essentially, we've got three kinds of criteria, right? We've got a, a thresholds and guidance around the ownership or the acquisition of buildings. Um, that's if you're a real estate trust and you own buildings and you want to disclose what are green, or if you're a bank and you want to do a, a green bond based on mortgages to existing homes, if you like. We've got the renovations criteria if you're upgrading or improving a property. And you know we know that in renovations are critically important. It can be lower emissions to do renovations than to new, do a new building. We've, and we've got a lot of old buildings in Europe, particularly in places uh, like the UK or France, and the new build criteria, where if you're doing new building, um, the rules that you have to have, so they're different. So let's start off with the um, ownership and acquisition criteria. Maybe I'll go to Fabrizio. Just tell us, I put on the screen the PowerPoint, just explain what we're looking at here. Yes, thank you, Sean, and um, good afternoon to everybody. Uh, so the ownership of acquisition, as you said, applies to when you're either buying a property or you already own a property and you want to consider it as a green building. And you might look at the revenue that you get from renting that property and having it as, as I said, as a green um, revenue. What does it mean that the building is, of course, already existing and we are assessing it as it is now? And uh, most of the buildings effectively this will apply to those that have been built before 2021. And as it says, uh, we're looking to um, select the existing, within the existing stock, uh, the buildings that perform the better. And we chose a top 15% of that stock um, to say that that's the best performance. Of course, it could be more or less than 15%, but we feel it's the right um, level to start from. The, and so it also, the idea behind all of this, if I remember correctly, is that we uh, identify what are best practice buildings in the market, and then we drive those standards once we get a market going uh, towards net zero carbon eventually. So there's the, we need to achieve this reduction pathway over time. How would that work? How's that going to work? Exactly. So when the top 15% is uh, established and we will get enough data to be able to understand let's say in Lithuania, what is the top 15% for an office building, you will be able to arrive to an absolute figures in terms of energy consumption or primary energy demand. And you will take that as your threshold effectively. 
And that threshold, which is a, let's say it's 50, uh, then gets decreased in a few years in steps towards net zero carbon by 2050. That is the general target that um, the whole world really has been given for the, the built environment. So we are talking about buildings that are already there. We need to start from somewhere and we start from the performance of the top 15%, but that figure will progressively go down so that the buildings will need to be improved more and more. So in the next five years, uh, we'll be doing work on establishing absolutes, which will guide future thresholds. But for the next five years, uh, we're saying if you can prove you're in the top 15% of a market, then that's adequate. So you just got to find a way to do that. Exactly. So how can people do that? What, 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 what's, what do you think? What, how can you see people doing that? Yes. So it really depends on the type of data that, that is available to, to each situation. Uh, but let's talk that, as again, we are talking, let's say, as an office building in Paris, um, you would be able to look at a certain data sets that look at the building stock composition and their energy performance. Uh, there are sources of this. One of the largest sources is the EU building stock database that is, can be found in the European Commission website. Um, but also there are other um, organizations that can provide that type of data. Once you understand what is your own building's energy consumption and you compare that to the performance or of that top 15%, you will be able to see if it is within that figure or not. So, so essentially, we have not solved the problem for you of how to measure. We would have liked to have used energy performance certificates and other measures, but it's muy complicado. And one of the issues is that there are different uh, thresholds and EPC schemes around Europe and so on. So we hope that the Commission will be able to advance that agenda in the meantime. So in the meantime, we've set a threshold, in principle threshold, and we're leaving it to the many, many sustainability consultants, um, energy consultants who do understand this place to provide advice to you on how to, this is not particularly complicated, as Fabrizio was indicating, but, and there are tools. I mean, you can use Climate Bond Certification or LEED and BRIAM, I think, will be able to help you out. Is that right, Ursula? Will LEED and BRIAM be able to be relevant here? How could that work? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, um, well, I don't want to jump ahead, but uh, we've also been given uh, thought to how the taxonomy could be applied internationally, uh, pretty much right from the word go. Um, as you can see here for New Belt, we refer to EU legislation. Um, within renovation, it's a little bit easier because uh, the, the delivery of 30% energy savings that could be applied you know, internationally. The reference to the energy performance of buildings directive, of course, again, is uh, EU regulation. So, um, so one part that we see as feasible is using the LEEDs, BRIAMs, and all the other sustainability uh, certifications as a, as a way of a proxy, whereby uh, the way that we think it might work is if these certification bodies um, apply to the sustainable finance platform, which hopefully will come into into life um, in the autumn, but at the end, you know, at the latest, at the end of this year, um, and basically submit their data and lay, lay open where they, where you know, their absolute thresholds. Um, and then, if they compare with the criteria of the taxonomy, 
um, then they can be accredited. So then you can use then your BRIAM, uh, BRIAM or DGNB or HQE or whatever certification outside of Europe as a way of proving um, uh, proving that your asset or your portfolio is, is 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 eligible. So so the key point is we've set a threshold. It's a good threshold in terms of driving best practice going forward. It applies to buildings built before 2021 because then we've got a new building coming into play. And you just have to make a case that you qualify at this stage. And we're looking for that case. And we're very keen to see all the organizations around the world that are providing building standards, whether that be Leader Briam or whether it be the Green Star in Singapore and Australia or all of these schemes, to simply make a case as to how their threshold will meet them. That's what we do. This is, this is a soft start to this particular scheme. But during the next couple of years, we hope we will be able to provide absolute measures to guide the reduction pathways that have to start in 2025. Across many areas of the taxonomy, we're doing this. We're having a, let's call it a transition approach, and we describe it in some detail as a transition approach, where we will allow investments in steel plants or aluminium plants or, or property, which is good practice now, but needs to get better. And we will have a trajectory of change and every five years is what we're saying, that threshold will go boom, down and down till we get to where we need to be, which is net zero carbon everywhere. And that's our objective. And we expect to have a faster transition in new build criteria than we do in ownership and acquisition. But that's a kind of separate story, isn't it? I just want to finish on this one. We've also mentioned that large non-residential energy buildings do also have to have a dedicated energy management system. Now, that's becoming the norm. It's not really the norm. It ought to be the norm, right? In this day and age, Ursula, is, is anyone actually not doing this anymore? Are there crazies out there? I, I very much doubt it. I mean, for we're talking large here, and I think the emphasis needs to be on large, yeah? Uh, you were talking about OPEX, yeah? You want to reduce your OPEX. So why would you not have a dedicated management system, you know, or at least have a dedicated team of energy managers looking into it? Um, I can't, I can't imagine, well, you know, maybe then some parts of the world, but in general, I think this, this is pretty much standard. Yeah. Okay. So it's not as if we're asking for something which is completely outlandish. So uh, th there's a lot of detail in the report. Uh, Ursula and Fabrizio did a lot of writing about explanations and so on, but we do understand that there is still further explanation to be required. I mean, uh, an example, Fabrizio, you had a bit of interchange last week about leasing, where the leases can be involved, which you hadn't described in the report. Can you explain what that is and where we got to? Yes. Um, so that was also what I was referring before. So if, you, if you're a company um, and you own a number of properties and you're leasing those properties for, um, as part of your business, and you, of course you get the rent, so it's a revenue, um, it's part of your turnover as a company. Um, if those properties are, um, you know, eligible or aligned, better saying, with the taxonomy uh, criteria for ownership or acquisition, so again, if their energy performance is in the top 15%, and it's also if they are offices probably or uh, retail buildings, um, then it also applies the, the, the second little rule on the energy management. 
if those buildings um, are aligned with those principles, then the revenue that comes in, that part of the turnover, you can claim it as a, a, a green revenue. It's, it's aligned with the taxonomy. Okay, that's very important to know for people in the finance industry. Good point. A question that's just come in. Ursula, how do we define a large building? Is there a cutoff point? How do we, what's the guidance for the finance sector say? Well, again, you could take the EPPD as a guidance, uh, at least in Europe. What know. does EPPD stand for? Uh, the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive, because they're very clear criteria about what is a large building, you know, um, how many square meters this would have. And I think this would also, for ease, I would also take this as a cue for um, for the ownership and acquisition, although the ownership and acquisition does not form part of the EPPD. But at least we have a definition there. Because again, you can argue, uh, you know, where do you draw the line? And you know how many how many square meters or square feet is, is a large building um but i think that is something that we should uh, we should refer if people have asked where we will be able to answer questions we are preparing a q a with with our rapporteur nathan fabian of the principles for responsible investment and we'll be taking questions that we answer online and ones that we haven't and providing some further. So watch this space. It'll appear on the Club of Bonds website and the website of a range of other organisations involved in the technical expert group. So it's in progress. Uh, I'm not going to get to all the questions though, but I just had uh, uh, another question around um, timeline for implementation. Let's just take that because people are worrying the pandemic. Does this mean nothing's going to happen? Uh, the Commission has told us this is on target. So we expect to have the regulation uh, finalised in quarter four of this year. And then the process for it becoming mandatory remains the same end of 2022, and there are staged implementations. Ursula, I think I've got that right? Yeah. Okay. Renovations. Fabrizio, how does this work? Yes, so the renovation um, is considered as an economic activity and it's important to, to keep in mind that what's being assessed here is not really the building in itself or its level of energy efficiency, is the renovation project. Um, so the renovation is aligned with the taxonomy, there are two options. Either the renovation is delivering 30% energy savings and that is um, calculated looking at the energy consumption of the building before the renovation, comparing to the energy consumption after the renovation. Both energy consumption, they are the calculated, the theoretical figure that come out of energy modeling, not the ones that come out of the energy bill, because those are varied and uh, they're not really applicable in this sense. So if your project effectively on paper delivers 30% energy savings, then it is uh, aligned. Or as an alternative, uh, if the renovation complies with the other requirements that are given in the national regulation uh, under the heading of major renovation, um, then it also uh, complies and so it is aligned. Now, what are those requirements for major renovation? Uh, they are different in every member states in the EU. They are uh, effectively embedded in the building codes um, and they are rules that are implementing the EPBD, again, the Energy Performance of Building Directive. So if you attach a certain amount of the building, and that's why it's called building renovation, it's a certain part of a certain 
area of the, of the facade or a certain area of the floor area, then the major renovation category kicks in. And if you comply with all that's asked, then your renovation will be eligible. Um, those requirements that have been defined in the national regulation, they've all been based on a number of parameters that are effectively looking at cost optimality of the measures. So they're not asking for um, too much. They're asking for the right amount for the building so that you can, with a cost optimality, achieve a good um, energy uh, efficiency. So we're not necessarily saying that if you're getting the major renovation, you'll be delivering 30% energy savings. But one of the two options you can go to. So of course, the EPBD option is easier to pursue in EU member states, but outside uh, the European countries, then people will go for the 30% energy savings. Okay, so there's a couple of ways you can do it. The principle's the same. Uh, it's very straightforward. So there's a key change here to some of the bonds you've seen in the green bond market. I need to alert people. In the green bond market, we've seen a couple of bonds around the improvements to a building where the whole value of the building has been counted. In here, and in the green bond standard, of course, which links to this, you'll be able to claim the renovation on that building but if the building doesn't get into the top 15%, you can't count the value of the whole asset. You're only counting the renovation inclusion. But if your renovation cost can fit the building into the top 15% metric, then you can count the whole value of the building and the asset in that number one metric, ownership or acquisition. So bear that in mind. There's a couple of different ways this can work out. Um, but now I want to go to new build. Now, new build is not a big part of finance or institution portfolios, but of course it's where we're gonna drive the market and it's critical to ensuring that our future emissions get down. Uh, it will be a big part, of course, as buildings built after 2021 start becoming part of the portfolio. So looking forward, Ursula, lead us through this. What, what is net zero energy building for all our listeners outside of Europe first and how does this work? Well, at the moment, um, you know, the near, near zero energy buildings uh, is, is EU regulation and this should be uh, transposed in, in, in all member states in the EU. Um, you know, by 2021, um, it should be, that should be the standard, you know, the, the, national, the, the, the respective national standard in, in the member states. Um, so we have gone lower than the national standards. Uh, Sean already said why. Um, you know, the buildings that are built today are the existing stock of tomorrow um, and we don't really want to lock in. Um, so therefore, the level of ambition for new construction is, is higher than it is for, for renovation. Um, there is definitely a reason, uh, there's a reasoning behind it because we feel that what is built today with the knowledge that we have, with the targets that we have, with the pathways that we have, there is no excuse to build shoddy buildings, you know, if I may say it as sloppily as that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so we're using we're using those um, those uh, NZ requirements, but they have uh, they you know the buildings that are uh, that are going to be eligible for the taxonomy have to do better than the national requirements because you know otherwise. You know, you could all, you know, if we were just going to go with NZEP requirements in every member state, you could quite widely accuse us of greenwashing. So we didn't want that. So, um, so the level of ambition is different for 
new build, then it is for renovation. But that's intentionally done so. And that's one of the ways we pick up something that we haven't been able to address too, which is embodied carbon in new build. We are talking about looking at thresholds, but the data availability we decided was very poor. So by the mid 2020s, we hope to be able to tackle that issue. But in the meantime, effectively, the threshold for new is significantly tighter than the threshold for renovations in existing, which biases towards trying to improve existing stock rather than pouring a lot of new concrete. Is that's the idea, Ursula? Yeah, and I mean, you know, there was a lot of call for um, for embodied carbon from the continent in both in both uh, rounds of uh, consultation. We are absolutely cognizant of the favor uh, of the fact that this is a big issue because uh, we cannot only look at operational carbon. We also need to look at uh, we need to look at uh, uh, you know the construction phase. Um, but without data, uh, we we would not have been able to set any meaningful robust thresholds, and therefore we have slightly deferred that. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely uh, on the agenda. So, Fabrizio, before I go to the next one, tell me something that you learned through this process which surprised you. you just give us a flavour, because I want to give people a flavour of the process. The, for the process of the what developing the criteria. Out, what you found out that surprised you through this and where you've got your learning is what I'm after. Well, I mean, I... I Myself, I come from uh, research in, in buildings and sustainability, and I found uh, that you know everybody is is facing the same problems. Really, uh, of course, the academia has, has looks at them in a different from a different angle, but then uh, the industry looks at them from a different angle. But it's the same problem: how do we get the data? How do we assess buildings? How can we from from the investors who are somehow fairly remote? and disconnected from the building or which is happening on site how do we get information from one place to the other um, yeah i mean it's, it was very interesting to see that all the people coming together and we're still struggling to get the data um, and then it's also interesting i think to see that although we all had um, agreed in terms of, the, of our ambition we all have uh, different ideas and list on how this ambition might be realized and then we needed to, to confront with how the, the, the market also, also works. So it was really interesting in terms of learning how things from, let's say, the more um, <laughs> transparent uh, data can, can become quite murky, yeah. So, so folks, you would have thought that by 2020, we'd have common standards and common frameworks we can pull off the shelf and put into action. And I guess what we found, and question to you, Ursula, is that actually it's a bit higgledy-piggledy. There's different schemes, different, and so marrying all these together is perhaps more work than we thought it might be when we started, and that's still very much a work in progress. Is, is that a fair thing to say, Ursula? Yeah, I think uh, probably also, even you, you already mentioned the EPCs and the thresholds, and that probably was quite a big, uh, that was quite a big challenge for us because um, you know, it would have been easy for us to just use EPC, uh, the EPC rate system as, as, as thresholds. Mm. Um, and after so many years of EPCs already being in the market, we kind of naively thought that that would be feasible. Uh, and increasingly it became apparent that it wasn't. 
Um, I mean, Fabrizio and I, we've been uh, digging very hard and also at member state level to try and get a feel for what the, what the thresholds may be and also to be able to compare. Uh, and that is something that I, I almost felt really quite frustrated with, mm. that uh, we could not use the most, the most obvious policy tool that, that, was out, that, that is out in the, in, in the market in Europe um as 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 a threshold um and uh, and this is why you know our discussions were extremely challenging and complicated on on that question i've got a question a question from my my friend frank richter in uh, north Rhine north Rhine westphalia bank who's been one of the leaders in the green bond market just to, just as an example he says what does nzeb mean in terms of the german EPB, epbd we're going to get this question from a lot of people right but how about it? So the two, two the first question is can you answer that question? But more to the point, where can we send people to the green building councils around Europe or to other places to be able to get help with all of this? How is that going to work in the market? So two questions for you. NZ and EPPD in Germany, is there the same? Is it different? Well, Germany is a particularly a particularly complicated example because uh, Germany has not adopted uh, the ABC, you know, uh, scale. And from what we could gather is that they have not actually uh, converted their barometer, because they're using a barometer, ah. into EPC values for all buildings, uh, which is really causing an issue yeah, uh, for them now because... <laughs> And uh, uh, so I think if I could correct me if I'm wrong, they, they, have only, they haven't done that for commercial buildings, have they? No, no there's only for residential. Only for residential, yeah? Yeah. The same applies to Poland, Malta, uh, and the Belgian region of Flanders. Uh, in Flanders, I think, again, they've only done it for residential. Uh, Malta hasn't done it at all. And in Poland, I don't think so either. Um, so uh, therefore, Again, for us to be able to compare where they actually have the thresholds for the EPCs um, and for, for the actual NZ level that they, uh, that they, that they have uh, defined is, is challenging. And I mean, I, I know that uh, from the German uh, participants in the consultation rounds, we heard a lot that they, they just felt that the, uh, the level of ambition on NZ in Germany was quite low um, and they were not all that uh, impressed with it and I guess um, if one were to look at all the NZFs uh, across Europe uh, you would see quite a lot of uh, diversity in levels of ambition. Yeah? Does that mean our NZ less 20% is not ambitious enough in Germany or do we think that is ambitious enough for the task we have ahead of us? I guess the latter. Um, well, I mean, we had we had a, we had a, request, a question from Germany just last week, and uh, there was a lot. It's a lot of there's quite a bit of confusion amongst banks um, uh, about what this actually means, because they were asking us whether minus, you know ends up minus twenty would be like EPCAA. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so it's for us, it's, diff it's difficult to say. I mean, I, I I'm a bit surprised that the market participants feel. In Germany, for instance, that the NZ levels are not ambitious enough, yeah, and that they're quite mediocre. Um, 
um, you would have expected from Germany maybe to go a little bit higher. Yeah. So we've got work to be done, right, Fabrizio? There is some work to be done, yeah. There's some work to yeah. be done. And as Fabrizio rightly said, uh, a lot of it is around data, you know, and I think, you know, and it, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's really amazing for me. I, you know, I've been in this space for, for, for many years and 10 years ago, everybody was saying, you know, the data is a real problem. And then 10 years on, we're still saying data is a big problem. I mean, there is data there, uh, but it's also not captured and managed in a very consistent and uh, systematic way. And it's not always accessible, uh, but I would have, you know, our, our, the buildings group sincerely thought that at least uh, in terms of your EU policy tools, there would be more data available uh, in the public domain that used as a way uh, of uh, decision making. Um, but there is some work to be done, um, and let's let's not forget this is the beginning of the journey. Yeah. I think that's a good point. So, and in many areas of the taxonomy, we're saying getting a final resting point will depend on many factors: data availability, in some cases the nature of the transition we can achieve in a sector, in other areas, and understanding how to push it and how to make it an ambitious change and so on. So that's guided us now thinking. We are, I want to say, resolutely committed to the idea of meeting Europe's goals and the IPCC goals. This is a climate change focus, but not exclusively, but it is focused in that area. And we need to get these emissions down. We believe that what we put on the table today is the right framework to start the process of the uh, achieving the ambitious pathway we want to get to. It will depend though on tightening criteria and improving data provision in different sectors. So there is work to be done. The commission is setting up a platform on sustainable finance, which is essentially a team to pick up the taxonomy work and keep working on it. And one of the things that we have recommended they do in the building sector is work on some of these issues it, starting off with the absolute measures that we were describing earlier on. So this is not a final space and it can't be because it's dynamic anyway. But can um, I say something positive? You know, no. we've been looking at a lot of problems now. You know, we've been looking at challenges and obstacles and, uh, um, and all the things that still need to be done. But I think with also, uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to also say that, you know, it's, it's, it's the first time that we've tried to do something like that. Yeah. And uh, what we've done is we've created a common language. You know, and the, the, the reason why we have so many people on this on this webinar is also that people are interested. Um, because for, for years we've been grappling with the question is, you know, what what, what is green? Yeah. Uh, how do you define green? Um, and different people have different have had different views on this. And I, for one, I am very, very grateful for having been part of this journey and also uh, uh, that we do now have a common language. That doesn't mean that the discussions around it stop. Yeah, and as some people may think, uh, you know, this is too ambitious, and this is too ambitious enough. Uh, you know, when you know you were asking, you were asking Fabrizio about what he's learned. Uh, you know, one lesson really has been, you know, you you know you can't please everybody. Yeah, um, uh, and you know we had a brief on the commission. Um, I also everybody on this group had a personal brief to get the best results possible. Um, and, and, and from that point of view, uh, I think we should also be happy about what this means. Thank you. A couple of questions. Someone's asking, is there a difference for greenfield and brownfield for new build? No. 
Richard? Uh, I can say that is there, there is no difference in the um, in the criteria that uh, looks at the substantial contribution to mitigation, but there is a difference in the do not significant harm criteria. We're going to get to that. But, yes, maybe I felt maybe the question was um, if it is a brownfield redevelopment, is it does it count that for more? Or maybe if that was the question, no. I mean, there is no difference in that sense. Okay. Um, someone's asked about edge used in other countries. It's very difficult to answer that. Do either you have a comment about this particular scheme, edge? Is it possible it's going to be able to match across to what we're doing? I mean, edge is um, it, it's very clear what it what it does. It's clearer than than Briam and, and lead in terms. Of, it's very clear. If I remember, it says uh, if your your building is edge qualified, if it's twenty percent less um, energy, I mean more twenty percent more energy efficient, uh, twenty percent less embodied carbon, and I think it's also twenty percent less water use. So it, it will address some of the of the of the criteria of the taxonomy um it also depends if we're looking at a new building or existing building now the 20 percent less energy consumption is considered looking at buildings of the same type looking at that and looking at our criteria i don't think there's a very strict match with that um, but it is really up to the the, the, the EDGE organization and uh, or the BRIAM and anyone to make an argument because they're the ones that are in the best position to tell us what their scheme actually does and how they calculate their, 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 their scoring system, et cetera, et cetera. So they, they are in the best position to make an argument and say an EDGE building in Washington, for example, uh, an office, it's comparable to the performance of the top 15% in the same area for the same type of building. So if they're able to make that argument, then they would be aligned. Okay, um, which, which uh, brings up a general point. People are saying, is there going to be an agency approving all of this? How's this gonna work? Uh, I think we're not saying that at this stage, we're simply saying make a case in terms of in your disclosure, right? Yes. Well, I think it's the, you know, our thinking has been that uh, this, the, the case could be made to the uh, Sustainable Finance Platform uh, initially. Uh, but we still need to see what the actual remit and governance structure um, and resourcing of that platform will be, because it will be easy for us um, to say, well, all of these things that we know, we, you know, all the knots that we were not able to untie, they're going to be untied by the sustainable finance platform. So um, I would say, you know, watch this space, maybe in a couple of months, uh, we will know more um, of how this would work in practice. At minimum, we've got a framework. We've already yes. seen a bond issued, actually in the UK, citing the EU taxonomy as its basis by Covent, which is an energy company in the UK. People can start using it now. So, <laughs> and you can simply make a case about your inclusion criteria using existing tools and the market, well, certainly accepted Covent's bond. It was a very successful one. So we can get going. Listen, I've got one guy, uh, who I'm going to, who's going to ask a question of us. Uh, to, uh, this, is, this is the only person I'm bringing in remotely, Tobias Lindbergh, who's from uh, Andelsbaken in uh, Sweden, who's done a lot of green property bonds. Tobias, can you hear me? Tobias? My, 
my communication has failed. Uh, you might have to unmute yourself, Tobias. Okay, Tobias, speak. Okay, looks like my experiment may not work. All right, I'm gonna have to move on. Um, next, I wanna tackle the last area of our criteria, which is the whole question of individual measures. Uh, maybe, um, who would like to lead us through what I'm, we're thinking of here? Maybe we start with Fabrizio first and then Ursula can chime in. Yes, so, yes. So uh, this is a, an umbrella activity that we use to effectively list a number of measures and professional services that are eligible to be effectively purchased. Um, uh, there is to be considered a difference with the renovation um, category. So the, the renovation, of course, it looks at the whole renovation package and it doesn't really look at how you're going to do that. Um, here, we're just saying, if you do any of these um, measures in, you know, individually or in combination, those will be eligible just for their cost. The building does not become necessarily a green building, if you want to call it, it doesn't, have, doesn't become something that it's aligned with the ownership category, but the cost of those measures will be eligible. So the cost of installing the PV panels on the roof or um, doing an insulation addition to your walls or replacing a, an inefficient boiler or having an energy audit, uh, those will be eligible as a cost. So we picked that up in the manufacturing sector as well, right? So Yes, there is an alignment uh, from, because those are effectively uh, either things that are going to reduce the demand on the building or uh, low carbon technologies, you know, renewable technology, photovoltaic panels and such. So those are things that also need to be produced. And so it's good to recognize in production that those are enabling technologies in a way. So if you're a triple glaze window manufacturer in Poland, your windows, if someone buys them to put into a building, that cost counts? And in the manufacturing sector, your plant counts, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of small and medium-sized enterprise opportunity in this, what we call a whitelist. Yes, white list. yes. Yes, because people will get a little bit more access to doing these measures. And so it will generate a demand for those measures, not just the demand for the product itself, the, the material, but also the demand for the manpower to, to go on site, install it and test it, et cetera. So it will create uh, jobs. It will help doing that. Yeah. And now that's a critical part of this. It's not just a big end of town taxonomy. We have tried to address stuff which address, which is direct relevance to small and medium-sized enterprise and the sort of activity that's associated, especially with renovations, but not only with renovations. Key point. Okay, I've got a question here I just need to share with you. You know Peter Sweetman um, from EFIG, who's uh, one of our Climate Bonds Advisory Panel members, our original. So he's asked this question I'm gonna share for you. I'm confused, he says. Half of global wealth is stored in buildings. Buildings use electricity, gas, and other fuels that we can measure. We can measure the size of buildings, know a lot about them. We also know what size their roofs are, and how much wall space they have as well, and, and what the orientation is. 
there are tons of different rules. Why can't we create data for all the EU cities and then compare with real buildings and plot the 15% for each city to make it easier for building owners? Can we? So is the question is why are we not getting data from uh, existing buildings? I, I think he's frustrated that um, <laughs> we've been, as we are frustrated too, in getting this. And I, I'm going to say, look, the answer, Peter, is you're right. This is crazy, but it's not readily available. And it is one of the things that we're recommending that the Commission and the Joint Research Centres pull together. It could have been done last year. It wasn't possible. Fabrizio Venosla. Yeah, what I can say is that the, the data is there, a lot of the data is there. What is very difficult is to actually have data that is comparable and homogeneous across cities, because there is the UK database, there is the French database, there is the German database, uh, the Italian one, and they will all look at different things because they have different building typologies, etc. So, though it is very difficult at a general European level to compare and to say, we want to have a level playing field across our criteria, it might probably be easier to go into each nation or region and to look at the data that is available there because it's more likely that somebody will have done a study, there will be a national database, there will be some data. It is just very difficult to pull that data all together and then saying, this is the level that's fair across all those countries because of all the different methodologies. So but that's where we went to go eventually. But at the moment, um, effectively, the data is probably more on the field. And in general, why, why don't we not getting more data on buildings is because a lot of buildings have been built years ago. The design has been lost, the drawings are not there anymore or also if we're looking at energy consumption, uh, is not something that we can readily uh, get our hands on as data because it's personal information is regulated by GDPR. So there's a lot of issues why the data is just not there immediately. Did you want to chime in on that, Ursula? Yeah, just quickly. I mean, of course, uh, I agree with Fabrizio. You, you know, if you're in this other pan-European level, you're very likely to distort um, the results because there are just so many there are just so many parameters that play into it and there's only much so much you can do with modeling yeah um you'll you'll never approximate uh, the reality in 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 the respective market um you know it depends on it depends on whether you have a central central uh, buildings database uh, in a country uh, if not uh, very very difficult i mean even in germany you know this is uh, you know we're looking at it from evaluation side for, for instance you have regional valuation councils and they don't share data. Um, and uh, that makes it very, very difficult to, to come to a very homogeneous uh, uh, result for, for even for one country. Um, but, you know, we would, you know, more, more, more work would need to be done on this. But, you know, this was not part really and part of our remit uh, to do a fully blown study. But the GRC started doing that and, uh, uh, it was quite complex. So it's important to note that the whole technical expert group process was done pro bono. Extraordinary. I know, extraordinary. Every member contributed their time without any cost recovery. Some people were able to have their salaries covered by their existing positions. Some people just did it as a pro bono activity. And 
That's the way Europe has to get things done sometimes because its budget is so tight. We hope though that the Green Deal, the emphasis on the transition, will see funding available for the joint research centres and others to do the work that's really required to pull all this together going forward. In fact, we're very optimistic about that in the coming year. I mean, Peter has retorted, uh, we can calculate it, we set a standard, if the industry doesn't like it, they can provide better data, we should just start doing it. We agree with you, Peter, but it's not as simple as just rolling it out because we don't have it at our fingertips. We are kind of hoping, and I think Fabrizio Nurso is fair enough, that the joint research centres could move quite quickly on this and do something, and it may even come in before next year. Let's cross our fingers and continue to ask the Commission to sort it, all of us. We need these solutions in place. A question to Fabrizio, a uh, technical question. The requirement of relative improvement of 30% for innovations, does that mean the reduction of primary energy demand or the reduction of primary energy consumption? Some of our readers might need to, listeners might know what that means. Um, it's primary energy demand. Uh, I'm fairly sure it's specified in the criteria. I'll have to look it up again, but I'm fairly sure it's primary energy demand. Okay, so let's have now a quick look at these do no significant harm criteria. Um, the, the principle we had, let me frame it this way. If you're building a solar plant, you can't build it on a wetland. You know, it's kind of obvious. So we've tried to encapsulate a few rules like that. If you're building a railway line, low carbon transport, we don't want you to build it to a coal mine because you'll actually increase emissions. So that's the sort of principle. Now, these are the things we've picked up in the property criteria. The asterisk ones are ones that are essentially covered by regulation in Europe. But I'm going to ask you just to pick, to talk about a few of these if I can. Ursula, give us a flavour, particularly the top, the bottom three and what's involved in doing this? Well, I mean, the do not significant harm uh, criteria, uh, there was a lot of discussion with the market around, this, around feasibility and practicality, especially those where um, there is no regulation in place in Europe. Um, and of course, parts of the market felt that this was a bit too onerous. Um, we have, if I may take the timber products, um, because we did have quite a few uh, and the uh, stipulation to use at least 80% of certified uh, certified timber, um, virgin timber. Um, uh, this is also needs to be seen in a context because of course uh, we, you know, the tech had covered, covered uh, a number of activities and also uh, there's the activity of forestry, sustainable forestry. Um, and uh, you know, by 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 including this, we are also supporting the whole principle of sustainable forestry um, and uh, the use of the material coming out of sustainable sustainable forest. So that was the thing thinking behind that. Uh, in terms of reducing material climate, physical climate risk. So this, here we're talking about adaptation. Um, we realise that uh, there are no thresholds for this yet. Um, there is no legislation yet, um, but we only have to look at, you know, we only need to look back over the past few years. I'm talking droughts, I'm talking floods uh, and other extreme weather events that uh, it was felt that even though there is no framework in place yet, 
that it was important to put this in, uh, to, to put it on the radar, to raise awareness around this, um, because we've, we are sure that uh, over the coming years, uh, there's also going, it's not going to be a shift from mitigation to adaptation, but I think adaptation will, will increasingly be seen as a critical area. So therefore we felt that it was good for the market to already uh, to bear this in mind when, you know, when doing projects. Um, because, you know, it makes sense because you're basically future-proofing your, your assets and your investment. So in the adaptation and resilience criteria, we're essentially saying you've got to look at the question and if some recommendations arise, you've got to act on them. It's not necessarily more complicated than that in the building sector. We are not providing very tight guidance at this stage, as Ursula says, it's time to start considering this. I mean, there are some obvious things. We need to be thinking a bit harder about floodplains. We've got a lot of buildings in Europe, sometimes just across the channel from Europe, still being built on floodplains. Um, this is crazy. And we need to address those questions. But it also affects heat stress. Europe is now going to see much, much hotter summers as a norm. Yes. And if you are actually insulating, if you're actually carrying out a renovation project, yeah, um, and you are in the south of France, uh, you know, and you're, you're thinking about like recladding. You know, this is something that, well, if you're actually touching the building, you, you know, makes sense to give this some consideration and do a feasibility study, uh, you know, feasibility check uh, on adaptation as well. Because if the building, if it's like a commercial building and it cannot actually be used anymore, or you may have to install echo at great cost, uh, uh, you know, big equipment, big, uh, big, big plant. Um, it may actually, uh, you know, be in your interest to to have that uh, to have that on the radar. So, so the guidance isn't particularly tight. We've put it in brackets because we know it needs work to develop it further into something that's useful and usable. Realistically, this is going to be applied to large developments. It should be applied to large developments right now. It's crazy and large existing holdings. Uh, I think that sounds right, Fabrizio. Do you want to? Yes. Yes, I mean, and, and it does sound, maybe one, when one reads it, it sounds a bit mysterious, but effectively looking at buildings, what we are talking about is, as Ursula said, flood risk, um, future temperature rise, how is it going to impact, is there going to be overheating, what are we going to do to avoid overheating, you know, put shades, put, um, it's effectively this, uh, it's checking that the building is still, standing uh, and, and not going to get down because there's a hurricane and the wind is a little bit over the, the, the limit that's usually used. So it's effectively resistance to weather conditions that we're talking about. And this is something that at least for new builds will be done at a project level um, fairly standard now, as you're saying. So I think you need to, you need to plan for those things. A last technical question, because we need to wrap up. You're, you're familiar with EMAP, the European Covered Bond Council for Energy Buildings and Buildings Project. Uh, how hard will this be to align? Is this an issue? Any, any thoughts about that? Is this going to be something that is going to work clear with EMAP or will EMAP change to fit what um, we put out of the taxonomy? 
Well, we've had uh, we've been in constant contact with uh, the participating banks from EMAP. I mean, you know, we were also from an RSS point of view, you know, we were also involved in the EMAP project. So from the word go, for me, uh, it was very important to to align the two initiatives. Um, uh, the target audience is slightly different, of course, uh, for for EMAP, um, and uh, but you know the thirty percent. For instance, uh, in the renovation, that's also reflected in EMAP, um, and uh, EMAP uses, you know, uses EPCs. Uh, you know, we're using NZEPs, uh, but on the whole, I don't see, I don't see any conflict there. You know, it's very complementary, uh, and as I said, that you know, the target audience, you know, mortgage banks. Uh, we've been talking a lot to mortgage banks, um, and we've been talking to the banks participating. Uh, in uh, who signed up to the to the energy efficient mortgage initiative, so there's been very very close consultation between the two uh, between the two uh, uh, projects. Great. So you can download the report online. There's a link showing on the screen now, um, but if you just search uh, EU taxonomy, you will find it fairly sustainable finance. You'll find it fairly quickly on the internet. Uh, We've covered a range of areas. This has not been a teaching session. We've tried to make this a discursive approach and pick up questions. Thank you for all your questions. We will aim to pick up as many as we can in the Q&A or answer a couple of response. Um, before I wrap up, for, uh, Ursula, any final comments, advice to people about engaging with this? My comment would be get started. Yeah, and you know, let us know how you're getting on. I think that would be very, very useful because um, we, you know, we want to know how this works in practice um, because we need this feedback to get a feel for um, also for the sustainable finance platform to, to inform their work. Fabrizio, yeah. farewell words. Yes, yeah, so I agree with, with Ursula. Uh, it's important to, to start um, working on this and you know, start to see how your investment or property might, um, might look against the taxonomy because what the taxonomy is, is a system of reference for, for disclosure. Um, so you just look at the data that you have and, and what the taxonomy asks you to do and you start there. And as Ursula said, it's, it's been, it is a work in progress. Um, it is a very tough job as 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 an you know as a remit um, trying to define what is a sustainable activity for six environmental objectives. So there needs to be adjustment and there needs to be and it's very valuable to have an exchange with the people who are going to use this, who are the users. Thank you very much for joining us today, um, Fabrizio and Ursula. Everyone on the call, please vibe them. Thank you, which is the best we can do. No claps available. This is a critical part of our thinking about raising, uh, about developing a sustainable future. Uh, as Peter Swipman said, half of global assets, 40% of the, re the reductions in emissions we have to achieve are in this sector. We are about to go through a amazing recession, I'm afraid. We will need to stimulate a way out of it. We've learned from 2008, I think. Now we need to ensure that that stimu stimulus is really consistent with the future that we know we have to create. It has to be a green and sustainable stimulus. The taxonomy is a framework for that stimulus. We can't afford to wait to get everything right. We just have to start doing it and trying it, as Ursula says, 
and learning as we go, but we know this is the direction. It's not that hard in terms of a direction. As we see stimulus, we want to see stimulus for these kinds of things. We want jobs in green building development, not non-green building development. That's what we've got to achieve. We need to ensure that money flows to banks who are supporting this transition. We need to ensure across all sectors of our economy, energy, transport, manufacturing, agriculture, that we follow the same approach. This is the time to plan. By the end of this year, we'll be starting to go out of this. And this is the map. Thanks everyone for joining us. Thank you so much, Fabrizio. Thank you so much, Ursula. Thank, thank you, Sean. The Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors for supporting this. And thank you everyone for being so enthused, committed and interested in creating a future that we know we need, a sustainable future. That's it for today. Thank you for joining us. Follow Climate Bonds on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram and WeChat for all things green finance and green bonds. And thank you for your interest in shifting our economy and our planet to being sustainable. If you want to know about more webinars and podcasts, go to climatebonds.net slash webinars. Thank you.